Thanks for tuning in to Mystic Witch. I'm your host, Blue. You can find out more about me at bluejunetarot.com. Mystic Witch is a podcast about magic, divination, and all things supernatural. Witches. Today we're here with Catherine Urban, who is an NCGR Level 4 Certified Astrologer from Cleveland, Ohio, where she writes horoscopes, teaches classes, and consults with clients. Catherine is the resident horoscope columnist for bonappetit.com, though her work can also be found on domino.com and in the quarterly member letter for the National Council for Geocosmic Research. Astrology is Catherine's passion, but when she's not gazing at a chart, she likes to cook, bike, practice yoga, and enjoy the outdoors. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me, Blue. I'm so happy to have you. So the opening question is, what is the magical tool you use the most often, and how do you use it? Well, probably the most obvious answer is astrology. So so astrology can be used as a magical tool, you know, specifically when we're choosing a chart to launch a business or start, um, you know, a new adventure of some kind. It's called electional astrology. And what that is, is we basically look ahead in our ephemeris. It's our little book where we have all the placements of all the planets. And we basically choose a chart where the planets are most optimally supportive of that new venture. And because I use astrology every day, that is probably the tool that I use the most often when working with magic. Awesome. So you were already an astrologer when I met you nearly 10 years ago. Um, but tell us first about your studies and, and, and like where you studied and who you studied with. Okay. So not everyone would resonate with like more of like a structured educational path for metaphysics. But for me, just having a lot of air element in my chart um, and it just, it just really resonated with me. So when I was living in New York, I was looking for a teacher and I first started studying with Joseph Adeo. He is an astrologer in Tribeca. And so I started studying in his apartment and, um, he is an NCGR certified astrologer. And then I, shortly after that, I started studying with his teacher, uh, John Marcasella, and he was the president of NCGR and also obviously certified through them. (laughs) And then later on, I started studying with Shirley Sofer, and she was the education director for NCGR. So I just kind of fit right in there. And I started pursuing certification in January of 2015, though I'd already been studying astrology for many years. And I just completed the program. It was, um, there are four levels and it covers a lot of the, basics in astrology, but also like, um, you get introduced through the education to a lot of the other major, um, areas of study through astrology. So like, as I mentioned, electional astrology, there's horary astrology. Um, one of the final things that you have to do to pass is you have to rectify a chart which means you have to find a birth time that works for someone who doesn't have a birth time. 
Oh, based on just traits or everything. So for, for when you rectify a chart, you basically have to interview. What I do is I interview the person. I interview them about their life, um, things that come easily to them, things that have been the source of the biggest challenge in their life. And then we get a list of dates of major, major events in their lives. And then we start looking at transits. We start looking at eclipses and we basically using math and like reasoning, basically you, you figure out a birth time for that individual. Wow. That sounds real hard. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So everyone has to do that as their final exam, basically. Yeah. And then the interesting thing about rectification though, is that, so we're looking for a birth time that works for the individual. It may not actually be their birth time. We have no way of knowing, you know, but like basically it's a, it's a time that works with all the major events in their lives. And then the other thing I would like to bring up though, is that when you have a recorded birth time, we're not even a thousand percent that that's actually the time because when we were born, like in the seventies and eighties, you know, everything was analog. Like we didn't have like synchronized phones with the time on it. So quite easily that the time on the wall could have been wrong. Or for example, like recording the birth time, isn't the number one priority when you're being born. So there's, there's a lot of chances for them to record the, the time wrong in that instance. My birth time is so easy to remember. I, you'll appreciate this. My birth time is 311. Whoa. <laughs> Ember is the color of your energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you mentioned that you studied with John Marcasella. Um, I, I was doing a little bit of research. Just I saw something that he said about um, the season that you were born into is one of his shticks. And I was wondering if you know what he's talking about. So I don't have like a strong memory of what, of what John's take on that was, but I do have my own sort of take. So basically if you're born in the spring, everything is kind of full of life. There's an eagerness, everything is kind of like fresh and simple, you know, and there's, um, just like an eager to, an eagerness to experience organically in the springtime. Mm -hmm. And then if you're born in the summertime, it's like high energy, active plug, be outside, like plug in, you know, do things. And then the fall season rolls around. It's kind of like, all right, I'm starting to turn inward a little bit, wanting to connect with people on a more intimate level. And then when we look into winter, it's a little bit more like we're concentrating our forces. We're concentrating our energy. So that definitely kind of plays in. And then what we also want to look at is like the amount of sunlight. So in the winter, like if you, if you talk to like a Capricorn or an Aquarius, like they are ruled by Saturn. So they're like a little bit more like, uh, like they don't get excited by a whole lot. I'll say everything is kind of just like, it is what it is. And everything's kind of meh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so that's kind of the winter energy. Like when it's like a little bit bleaker outside, it's a little bit more gray. It kind of just is what it is. And yeah. so that's, that can be an attitude adopted by people adopt like born in the winter, basically. Got it. Interesting. 
All right. Yeah. So uh, the astrology conference uh, where you gave a lecture on the dark goddess, the Great Lakes Astrology Conference in Michigan. I want you to tell us all about your theories on the dark goddess. Yeah. So, okay. So I just gave my first lecture at a conference. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I spoke on the dark goddess archetype. So first of all, I've been just witnessing like a huge interest in Lilith. Like people who barely know anything about astrology are like just immediately wanting to connect with Lilith. And Lilith is a point in the horoscope. It's not one of the main primary planets, but people are kind of skipping the big guys and wanting to connect with Lilith. So my lecture explored, why is that? Like, why are we suddenly so infatuated with her? And I kind of broke down all the reasons of, of why, um, just to kind of bullet point that, I think number one, we're coming out of a time when Uranus was in Aries for the last seven years. And that really highlighted the sovereignty of the individual. And as we know, Lilith said, no, Adam, I'm not going to just lay beneath you and get my hair dirty in the dirt. I want to be on top. And so we're kind of unclear whether Lilith was just wanting equal and wanting to like have that equal, um, you know, that equality in her relationship, or was she kind of more of like, no, Adam, I want to dominate you. So it's kind of unclear. So we have these kind of two archetypes of Lilith going on where we have kind of like someone who is maybe someone who just wants like liberation, or, um, we have someone who like, basically Lilith is called a demon or a succubus or a temptress. So we have like that side of her, but we also have the other side of her where she's like awakened and sovereign and maybe interested in tantric sex. So we kind of have these two sides of her where she's very malicious and malevolent and wanting to take, take, take. And she's kind of this insatiable sexual goddess. Or we have this other side of her where, you know, she's an herbalist. She helped women have abortions. She had sovereignty over her body. She had a uh, tragedy in her love life, but that like gave her empowerment and wisdom. And so we kind of have this two dichotomy of Lilith here. At the same time, when we look at Lilith in the horoscope, there's two ways of looking at her because we have, um, so we have mean Lilith and true Lilith and not to get like too big into that, um, you know, cause I don't want to like overwhelm everyone with information, but basically <laughs> like there are mean Lilith and true Lilith can be up to 30 degrees apart from one another in the horoscope. And Lilith is the wild woman. So I would say that it's no coincidence that she's kind of hard to pin down. You can't like tame the wild. Like a, was that pun intended? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> but I also think that right now, like in a time with Mother Earth, you know, we're really focused on rewilding. We hear this term all the time in the collective rewilding. We're rewilding ourselves. We're trying to rewild the environment. You know, we're seeing places that were poured over in concrete and being encouraged to bring the green spaces back and, and to protect the green spaces. And in, in certain parts of the world um, where 
animal populations have become diminished, we're like repopulating them with wildlife. So we're seeing this movement to rewild in nature. And you really do see it. You see a big movement, especially like in in our community, in the spiritual community, where we're trying to plug back into the cosmos, to ourselves and to nature. Yeah. I mean, I do my small part here in Brooklyn by just allowing whatever weeds to grow in my pots instead of actually planting flowers and like specific things. I just let whatever wants to grow, grow because it honestly, it stays greener longer and it has a healthier life. And the cat also can pretty much eat everything. (laughs) And that's just what grows here by itself. You know, right. Like some of the things that we consider weeds are actually like pretty magical. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even just like what you hear when you hear what you think of when you hear the word weed, like, yeah, that's a pretty magical substance as well. (laughs) No doubt. Yeah. Uh, That's a whole other podcast where I just talk about CBD oil and how it's changed my life forever. Oh, I want to, I want to listen to that one. <laughs> well, you're going to be my guest for that one. So, uh, you've also lectured on subjects such as the lunar nodes, the progressed sun. I want to hear more about your keynote address. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so in Cleveland, I gave the keynote address at my local astrology organization here in Cleveland. We have one of the oldest ongoing astrology groups in the nation. It's called LCAA. It's the Lake County Astrological Organization. And we've been around for 45 years. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, it's a long time. The president the original president actually just retired. So we're having a regime change right now. (laughs) Um, That sounds so political. Yeah, it is. I mean, so 45 is a semi-square. And so in astrology, the age of 45 is a big time in someone's life or when, and as we know, everything has a birth chart. So when a country or an organization turns 45, it's also like a period of big change. So yeah, we've been going through a big change. And it's all really awesome. I, I really encourage you, you know, in today's culture, like there, we, we often will find our community through online, like through Instagram or Facebook or different forms of that nature or Twitter, you know, but like plugging in and getting together with people and holding space with people is so powerful. And so I've really found a home with this organization and it's through this organization that I've given a lot of the lectures. Um, and we, we get guests from out of town Anne Ortley was just in town. Um, Judy Vitale is coming in, you know, we get, we've had Armand Diaz. We've had a lot of big name astrologers come through. So when I was asked to give the keynote address for our holiday banquet, we have an annual holiday banquet every year. I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is such an honor. And so Basically, last December, I gave, um, I addressed a room of about 100 people, and I just ran through what was kind of ahead astrologically for 2019. And I basically gave like 10 minute, you know, gave like 10 minutes for each sign and was just like, here's what you can expect in 2019. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I talked, <laughs> I talked so much. I think it took me about a week <laughs> for my voice to recover. <laughs> 
I can relate to that. Yeah. So I have lectured on a lot of topics. Like I said in the beginning, I'm an I'm air dominance. And so I am nerdy as hell. <laughs> and that's kind of my niche with astrology is like, I really like to research. I have a Scorpio moon and a Mars and Virgo. And I just, when I get into something, I just go all in. So I have lectured. Yes. I, I, as you mentioned, I have lectured on the lunar nodes. Um, those, the lunar nodes are a fascinating point in the natal chart that tell us a little bit about what we brought into this life, what comes easily to us, what comes naturally to us, and then kind of what we're striving toward. So the North node tells us a little bit about what we're here to develop. And, but even though these are two points in the chart that can tell us a lot about our destiny and where we're going to get like deep soul level fulfillment in, in our, in our lives. I'm of the belief though, blue, that the entire horoscope is karmic Mm. and, and we talk a lot about fate versus free will. You know, that's a big topic I know in the spiritual communities and specifically also in the astrology community, when you have your natal chart and you're like, oh my gosh, like, this is describing me to a T. Is this destiny? Am I supposed to, you know, do this chart? Is there any way I can get out of it, basically? I mean, you start <laughs> asking these questions. And I am a believer that the chart is all karmic, but we are creating our karma with our free will. Yeah. You came here in this life with certain soul contracts and certain missions in your life. As you mentioned, like when you read tarot, you know, you can, you're reading for the timeline closest to you. You're reading for the path that you're on and that you can always change that. I feel like we are always, we always have free will. However, we have certain soul contracts with people and certain objectives that we came here to learn in this life. And so that's when the eclipses kind of get involved. The eclipses are cosmic course correctors and eclipses are basically a new moon or a full moon with the involvement of the lunar nodes. And so that definitely takes on a little bit more of a faded quality. Things get put in your path, things get taken away, and that could be people or opportunities or situations. And so those definitely take on a little bit more of a faded quality. Um, as far as looking ahead at transits, like you might see, okay, in a year, Saturn's going to be squaring my sun. That could manifest in a ton of different ways. And I think that the vibration of, of that aspect is going to respond to your present reality. So wherever you're at. So it would be kind of difficult for me to say indefinitely how that's going to show up in your life. The other, the other thing I would, I would keep in mind when interpreting transits is that as astrologers, you know, when we study astrology or when you get an astrology reading, it empowers you to be the alchemist in your life. So when you see that Saturn is coming up to square your sun, that can be kind of a tough transit. But if you kind of get ahead of the curve and start, you know, being a little bit more conscious of how you use your time, being a little bit more organized, being maybe a little bit more focused on your true ambitions and getting a little bit more serious and practical and diligent about what you're here to do, then you're going to have a much easier time with that transit. So um, I wanted to know more about your lecture series on family dynamics and astrology. What is that about? Oh, this is a juicy topic, Blue. Yay. Let me tell you. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So we know a lot about synastry, which is basically compatibility through astrology. Synastry is when you take your horoscope and you compare it with your partner or your lover and kind of get an idea for the dynamic of the relationship. In fact, Annabelle Gatt was on your show um, in the first season, and she just wrote an awesome book about this. The Astrology of Love and Sex, A Modern Compatibility Guide. And Annabelle Gatt's going to come on later in this season to talk uh, to us more about that book. And it's out now. Yeah, so that's a really great book. So anyways, um, basically, when we're looking at the family dynamic, we're looking at the synastry of everyone in the family. Yeah. And so what we get is we get the individual dynamics between you and mom, you and dad, dad and mom, or mom and mom, or whatever the family dynamic is, you know, we can look at the individual relationships and you can kind of, and you can kind of see, you know, who, who do you get along with a little bit better? Where are the tensions in the family? You can also pull back and look at the elemental balance of the family. So when you see a lot of water or a lot of Neptune prominent aspects in the family, the family is going to be a little bit more alike. They're going to be a little bit more nuclear. There's going to be a little bit more expectation to do things together and to kind of follow in my footsteps and kind of be more of like a unit. You've seen families like that. Then you also see families that have a really um, high uh, balance of air aspects or air element in the, in the family. And that would be a family that's a little bit more focused on education, family that is like putting their kids through all these different after-school programs. Like they got sword fighting one night, they got swimming another night. They're just kind of all over the place. Academia is kind of important there as well as individuality, you know? And, and so also you'll find, say you have like a lot of people in the family um, that are alike, and then you have this one kind of oddball in the family that their chart doesn't match all the other charts. They're the black sheep, they're here to stir the pot. They're here to mix up that strong family pattern. We might also look at the fixed aspects in, in the family. If there's a lot of fixed energy, then we know that this is a family pattern that is deeply embedded. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. That's so fascinating. Yeah. The other that I can share on that is that aspects do run in the family. Oh, really? Yeah. So you might see, again, I mentioned Sun Square Saturn. We'll just use that one again. Um, you might see Sun Square Saturn in a father and a son. Ah. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know aspects run in the family. It's hereditary. <laughs> yeah. So um, the other thing is, is that like the rising sign that will tell you a lot about outlook on life. It'll also tell you a lot about the the person's physical body and their physical features. And so in my family, on my mom's side, everyone is either a cancer rising or a Sagittarius rising. What? Yeah. What? How did (laughs) I not never, I never heard this before. I never heard nothing like it. And here's, and here's the other thing that gets interesting. So my husband is a Sagittarius rising and he really gets along with my family. He really fits in. (laughs) Cute. Yeah. So you see that too, with people who are adopted or married into the family, like all these rules still apply. The other thing about family dynamics is that like a lot of there's, there's often like these 
archetypes that show up in families. Like you have like the person who is like the most charismatic and like, they're usually pretty independent. Like they're usually have a combination of independent aspects, but also like similarities. And when they come around, like everyone kind of like, shuts up and listens to them and adores them. That person's going to have strong Pluto in their chart. I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also one of my, one of the biggest ones that I've connected with is the black sheep, but the, the black sheep is actually like, even though they're different, everyone loves them. They're like, kind of like the jokey kind of fun, like, oh, you're kind of just like a jackass. Like they usually, (laughs) they usually function really well and normal outside the family, like in their eccentricity. But when they come around and they're in the family dynamic, they almost like don't take themselves very seriously. They turn into kind of like the clown. Uh, I feel completely red right now. (laughs) (laughs) So you're the black sheep blue. Oh, hardcore. Yes. <laughs> I'm the jackass that you were mentioning. Yeah. But everybody loves you. Everybody loves you. But then the hardest one to be in the family dynamic is the one who is the most psychic. So this is the scapegoat in the family. Oh. And the scapegoat is the most psychic and the most sensitive. And they pick up on everyone else's unresolved kind of emotional baggage and they either act it out and or everyone just kind of without like owning their own shadow kind of projects it onto this other person so where we get the the name scapegoat from is it was an ancient practice i believe in the jewish faith and but don't quote me on that but then um it was it was a practice of basically what we do when we do like a ritual where we're like purifying and clearing and getting rid of stuff where you write everything down on a piece of paper that you're done with, that you don't like about yourself, that you'd like to change. And, you know, in a modern sense, like we might burn that piece of paper, but back in the day they would strap it to a goat and like send that goat off into the desert, like in a kind of a terrifying way. Oh, that poor goat. I know. So that's where we get the word scapegoat. And the scapegoat of the family is, again, often the most psychically sensitive. And as we know, like a lot of us who kind of make our way to our spiritual path, I think a lot of us can relate to that because, you know, we were like the black sheep or the scapegoat or the pariah of the family. And we, you know, a lot of us right now are doing like the, the work on the family lineage right now, you know, Saturn's on the South node. Yeah. A lot. Like that's all anybody's talking about right now. It's like the ancestral line. Exactly. Cause that's what time it is in the collective right now. Like we're really doing a huge psychic purge and the, the scapegoat has been doing that their whole life. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to be that one. That one sounds like the hardest. Yeah. It was, I, I could say that I was the scape, the scapegoat growing up, but it's all good now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it sounds basically really Piscean in the sense that it's like super psychic, super empathic. You're just picking up everything and even maybe acting it out. That's like wild. That sounds like a lot of responsibility. 
Yeah. And a lot of times the individual who carries that burden doesn't even know it. But if you get your chart read, you can see, oh my gosh, I'm sensitive. I'm empathic. I'm picking up on these things. I'm acting it out. I'm basically a psychic dumpster. And so <laughs> when, <laughs> when you have that awareness, you can start doing the practices that purify and clear and shield and protect. So yeah. <laughs> That's my new identity. Thank you so much. <laughs> It's my new handle on Instagram. <laughs> oh, I'm so dead. I understand you currently offer a beginner level astrology course at a venue. I think it's, I think you said it's a metaphysical shop called Coven. Yeah. It's on the West side of Cleveland. What's, what's the name of the area? Lakewood. Tell us about that beginner level astrology. It's ongoing right now, correct? Yeah. So basically, um, like there's, like I mentioned, like the big, like group that I'm in LCAA that's East side on the West side of Cleveland. Um, you know, Cleveland is very much like East and West side. Uh, yeah. So I've got like my East side group. And then on the West side group, this shop is about, it just had its first year of business. And I love Miranda. She's the owner at Coven. And it's just like a beautiful space where like you can go and you can find community. Like people will walk in there and just be like, oh my God, I think I have a spirit in my house. And then everyone is kind of like, oh, okay, well you need this crystal. You need this practice and you need this candle. And so it's really like a space of community that she's been trying to creating. So I uh, was invited to do astrology classes there. And so we're just in the very much in the beginning phases of offering. So I, I just started teaching there and we're just kind of doing some beginner level introduction to astrology, just to kind of make sure everyone at least has the basics down. And then the hope is to kind of plug in and kind of get a sense for what people want to learn and understand a little bit more about, and then also maybe in the future start to offer a little bit more advanced classes and things like that. Awesome. I think that's great. So people can book that. How do you, do they need to book it at the shop? We do have listeners in Cleveland. So, yeah, so we are on Eventbrite, so you can connect there or you can follow Coven Clee on Instagram, or you can just follow me. I'm Astro Catherine. That's Catherine with a C. And I'm always posting about the events and offerings that I have going on. Awesome. Uh, so you write the monthly horoscopes at bonappetit.com. Can you tell us uh, more about that publication and how your work kind of flows into that? Yeah. So the main goal, like, I don't know, like Bon Appetit, they're a really awesome company. They're like one of the, the, the food entities that's a little bit more experimental, a little bit more fringy. And like a lot of their staff is really young. Like they're like our age. And so their social media game, like is really spectacular and they actually just won an award for it. So Whoa. yeah, they're really, really a creative team. And so it's an honor. I feel like such an honor to be working and affiliated with them. But yeah, so our horoscopes are for the most part fun. Like we want them to be fun and engaging and lighthearted, you know, cause you want to feel good when you eat your food. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they're also, we also, um, really strive to make them like relevant and accurate for everyone. So that is like the two main goals is let's have these horoscopes be fun and accessible, but also accurate. <laughs> yes. So important. 
Yeah. And, and that's kind of hard to do actually. Like when we live in such a time (laughs) when everything is kind of like chaotic right now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Let's talk about nice things. So is that role, your role at Bon Appetit, is that how your astrological cookbook that's coming out November 5th, is that how that came to be? Yes, that's exactly how. Ah, okay. So tell us everything. I'm so excited. So basically last November, I was contacted by an editor for a major publisher. And because I'm one of the only people consistently writing about astrology and food on the internet, they thought that I would be a great fit. fit. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love writing. So it was, it's been great. And so, yeah, I spent the winter months, um, really writing that book and yeah, it'll be out in on November 5th. And the photography is stunning. (laughs) They did a fabulous job with the design. Ah, that's so exciting. You're going to have a book published. It's so exciting. I know. Ah, So, um, that is going to be released November 5th. Is there a way to pre-order Yes. So if you go to my website, www.catherineurban.com, I have links there, but also it's already available for pre-order on Amazon and also Barnes and Noble. Awesome. So tell us anything else that we should know. How can people find you or listen to you or book you or any of those last plugs? Yeah. So you can book a reading with me online. I'm available for readings. I have a a big slew of offerings. I do electional astrology. I do natal chart, compatibility, all that juicy stuff. And you can just book everything online on my website. And I absolutely love to connect with people on Skype as well as locally if, if you're in the Cleveland area. So you can connect with me there at www.catherineurban.com. I am teaching a class at Coven. We're going to be talking about the, the basics of the astrological houses. That is going to be on August 21st at 7 p.m. at Coven in Lakewood. And you can also connect with me. I have a podcast called The Fallen Fruit. It's me and a couple of my friends here in Cleveland. One is a hypnotherapist. The other is a tarot reader. And we just largely talk about all things metaphysical, but with an emphasis on the dark goddess archetype. Awesome. Thank you so much, Catherine, for spending time with us today and sharing all this amazing information. And just um, in case you didn't catch it, the Instagram is at AstroCatherine and the website is CatherineUrban.com. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Blue. It was so great to reconnect with you. Stay mystic, witches. Be sure to subscribe to Mystic Witch on any of your favorite platforms. And you can show your support by contributing monthly at anchor.fm or on our Patreon page. Follow us on social media to hear exclusive audio clips from our guests at Mystic Witch Podcast.